Thank you for listening to Overcomers Church International Weekly Message. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened as you hear the Word of God. Take a moment and recognize that I have my mother-in-law here, and I love my mother-in-law. She's the most awesome mother-in-law, which I don't have another one, so it's right for me to say that. But I, then I also have my grandmother-in-law, and uh, she's been always been a, a grandma to me. I told her a lot of years ago, I said, I... I all of my grandparents are passed away, but I, I told her secretly, I said, you're the grandma that I really never had. And so I had good grandmas. They were good-ish, and, but she's just been a tremendous blessing to me. And I remember one time she gave me 10, 10 gold $1 coins for my, one of my birthdays. So I haven't gotten any gold coins since then. I don't know what happened. Did I do something wrong or no? No, but she's a super blessing. And then, and then next uh, to her, we have Liz's brother, Sam and his new wife, uh, Leah, and they just got back to, and this is all leading up to something, they just got back to from Israel on their honeymoon, which is awesome. <clears throat> so they were there for about five weeks, and as they were telling us some of their stories, they were talking about a, um, this one particular tour that they were on, and, and they were walking down the road, and there was a there was a skull laying there, and it was just a, like a little skull about this big. And the tour guide said that that, that was John the Baptist's skull, because remember, John the Baptist was beheaded. And he said, that, that's John the Baptist's skull. And so they walked down the road a little bit further, and there was a much bigger skull like this. And they had asked the tour guide, well, who, whose skull is that? And they said, the guy said, well, that's John the Baptist. And they said, wait a second, you said that was John the Baptist back there. He said, oh, that was John the Baptist when he was a child. I thought it was funny. They really did go to Israel. They really did not have that story. I had someone tell me. I laughed when I heard it, and so I just, you know, I... It really confirms that I'm really called to preach because I have great preacher jokes. So. <laughs> Anyways, hallelujah. Can I just pray and get my mind right? Father, we thank you. Thank you for helping me. Hallelujah. Lord, we love you. We bless you. We bless these moms. We thank you for the next <clears throat> few moments we have together to hear from you, even though we've already been hearing from you, but God, to get some things solid, concrete in our heart from your word. Lord, we love your word. We honor it. We honor it above anything else. God, you said you even placed your word above your name. And we exalt your name to the highest, but Lord, we exalt your word as higher, higher. Everything that's in it, we believe it. We live by it. Lord, we don't understand every part of it, but I thank you that the revelation of your word continues to grow. We continue to gain an understanding. We thank you that our families flourish because of the spirit of God and because of the word of God working in conjunction in our lives, and our hearts, in the name of Jesus, amen. So this is what I want to do, is and I had somebody ask me, uh, well, usually people ask me, do you have a great Christmas message or Easter message or Mother's Day message, and the answer usually is no, I don't, I'm not good at doing that. So from the bottom of my heart, I apologize for not having all of the, the, those messages lined out, but I'm just going to preach what the Lord gave me. Does that sound all right with you? Amen. amen. So we've been talking about restoring discipleship. And this is something that's become so near and dear to my heart, and it's a lost 
understanding in our culture. People call themselves, and, and culturally speaking, it's okay, we call ourselves Christians, but we've lost the understanding of what discipleship really looks like and what, and what is entailed with, with having people that disciple and people that sit and are discipled. And we need to understand what the word uh, communicates concerning that. And as some of you know, that Liz and I, a few weeks ago, we went to a conference in Kansas City and um, the Lord really, it, it was not a conference like we thought it was gonna be. It was mostly informational, but it totally rocked our, our understanding because we realized something that the generations that are coming up, my generation and the one underneath, and certainly the one that's going to come after that, if something doesn't change, we are going to lose not only our country, but we're gonna lose the people that represent our country. I'm just talking about America for the moment. And I believe truly from the bottom of my heart that the reason why we are losing, that Christianity is losing the battle in our culture is because we do not understand discipleship. It's a, it's a, it's a lost art. And you know, the, by and large, discipleship primarily is just, it's just mothering and fathering. That's really what it is. And Liz and I had, um, I, I wanted to say the privilege, but it didn't turn out to be much of a privilege to be honest with you. We met this particular minister who has, and I don't have anything, I don't say, I don't say bad things about people. It's just not my, how I do it. But we met this minister who has one of the largest churches in St. Louis, if not the largest, I don't know. And we had opportunity to sit there and, and he took time and we met them at, at a movie theater and he and his wife and I was like, man, Liz, I know them. I'm like, I think that's the one. And it was, it was the guy. And so he, I was asking him questions because when you have people that, that have success, everybody look at my fingers, success, you want to ask questions, right? And I'm not trying to downplay anybody's ministry. Please don't misunderstand me. But all I heard from him was how to grow your church big, how to have more Instagram followers, how to get people on Facebook, the importance of being on television, and all of these things. And look, I don't have a problem with all that. I'm on Facebook, I'm not on Instagram. We're working on doing some video stuff because I think media is the tool of our day. I'm not against any of that stuff. But I realized something had been lost and has been lost in our church culture, and that is fathers and mothers raising up people underneath of them. Because what we have, this is the term that the Lord gave me, what's been developed is professional fathers and mothers. Even in, even in people that have ministered so much to me, you know, I, I, I'm cut from uh, Karis Bible College and Andrew Womack. And I used to say for years, and I didn't understand this till not that long ago, but I used to say that Andrew is my spiritual father. You know, the Lord corrected me and he said, Andrew's not your spiritual father. He's a teacher who taught you a lot via cassette tape and CD. You know what fathers do for their children? They spend time with them. They pray over them. They nurture them. They discipline them. And I'm not coming against Andrew or any other minister who's on television or even the guy in, in, I'm not, in St. Louis. I'm not coming against any of them. Please don't, don't miss my heart here. But we have, and it comes from the top down, and I believe that there's been such a push to have 
all of the Facebook and Twitter, Twitter followers you can have and have your name out there and your face out there. And it's like to rally all these people around to promote somebody's ministry. And honestly, a lot of it is just feeding insecurities that they have. And if they can do things well enough and get people around them well enough and promote them to a high enough level, it makes them feel good and some people get reached. But what happens in the process is that people aren't being discipled. They're not being raised up and the proof is in the pudding. Because when you look, when you look at the five generations that are represented in, in our country right now, alive right now, we've got basically five generations and then another generation is being birthed right now for the new babies coming in now. But basically five generations the level of people that profess faith in Jesus as Lord and one God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the number of people for every generation has basically been cut in half. Something has to change. And for the last 20 years, we've had church building programs. We've had all the methods to get people in the door. We've had evangelistic efforts. We've had, truly, we've had tremendous teaching too. We've had some of the best teaching on the love of God, the grace of God, the Holy Spirit. I mean, all kinds of things, marriage, all kinds of things over the past, say, 20 years. I mean, incredible teaching. I could, I could sit here and, and list off a hundred different teachers that are well-known that people have received great information, great understanding from, but, but what we're missing, I truly believe, is people because see, that, are, that are raising up other people because you gotta understand something is that people, the reason that they're, they're leaving in high schoolers when they come out of high school and they go into college, the statistics for them stay, I'm talking about ones that are in Christian homes. The statistics when they go into not just secular universities, but all kinds of areas of life, we're talking like 90% of them are rejecting their faith that are coming out of high school and into the workforce or in particular into secular colleges. They're denying their faith. Why? Because what they're seeing at home and what they're seeing in church, it's not authentic. George Barna did a survey, and it, and it, was, it was accurate about, uh, would have been about seven or eight years ago, he did a survey and was trying to figure out, because the trends, people were seeing the trends then, and it's even more prevalent now, and trying to understand why are the younger people not sticking with how they were raised. And his ultimate research showed that people coming out of high school and underneath of their parents' care, the reason that they didn't go back to or get plugged into any kind of local church, of, I mean, of any kind, or even stick with their faith, is because they said that it, that it had no power and no relevance in their life. And hearing all those things and seeing where we're at now, I realize that something has to change. Something has to change. If we don't have an awakening in the lives and hearts of the believers that still believe in Jesus. Listen, I'm not giving you, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm giving you real statistics. And, and I don't remember the exact numbers, but in 15 years, I believe it was less than four, maybe 2% of the United States will consider themselves to be born again Christians. That makes us a super minor, minority. Do you know that super minorities 
can't influence the world very well. Something has to change. And I believe what needs to be restored is we have to have discipleship restored. And we have to, we have to understand the language of the Bible. And I've heard people, I met with this one preacher years ago and his church was just exploding. And so I met with him and he was in a, just a different, smaller town, but for the size town, I mean, it was just exploding. And I, I went and met with him and I said, man, I said, what are you, do, what are you doing? I said, how is, your, how is your church just exploding like this? He said, well... He said, I've learned that there are certain things that you say and you don't say. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, he said words like anointing. He said, people don't understand that. He said, you don't use words like anointing. And I'm thinking, something doesn't sound right here. <laughs> and then he went on and he listed all kinds of other things about what they do. And I realized, well, what you're doing is you're just, you're just taking out the important parts of the Bible that you don't think people want to hear and to dumb it down enough to just get people to fill the seats, but you're not really giving them anything of substance. That's the day we're living in right now. And I went and I visited, and I won't go in, into any of the details because I, I will not ever knock another man's ministry at all. I don't do that stuff. But I went and visited not long ago. This I got an invite to go and get in on the, the, the inner things of what was going on to have special meeting with special people and to just to see what was going on with this ministry. And at one point in the evening when I was there and I knew God connected me and told me to go, I knew he did. And I was walking in the foyer of that church and I said, Lord, why am I, why am I here? And he said, because I wanted to show you that if you wanted to, you could have all of this, but it's gonna cost you. I said, what is it going to cost me? And he said, truth. I said, I don't want it then. I don't want it. And that could sound like, oh, yeah, well, you've a, you're a, you got a small church and you're just trying to make excuses. No, I'm telling you the truth. A lot of what we see being raised up today, it's not, it's not discipling people. It's not reaching people. They're struggling in their marriages. They're struggling to raise kids. They're struggling financially. They're, I mean, just the problems that are going on in the church, they're as pervasive or more than outside. Why? Do we need more great teaching? No, we've had great teaching. Do we need more great worship services? No, we've had them. I mean, we need all of that stuff to continue. Don't misunderstand me. But we need mothers and fathers. We need people to, to bring discipleship, but we also need people to receive the discipleship that that's being brought. Does that make sense? So something has to shift and change in our culture and a big part of it and what we're seeing, and this is why, and you're gonna hear more about this in the days to come, but we're making a prayer room. We're making a whole room special just for prayer because we have to come back to a place to where we humble ourselves before God and ask him for help because the church apparently thinks it has it figured out, but we're losing our young people. As a matter of fact, what I'm getting ready to do and I'm just asking the Lord for, for how to, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to start to pull on all the other ministers in this town as much as they will. And I'm going to pull them together. I'm going to get my exact statistics laid out. And I'm going to say, this is what we're looking at. Do you want to be a part of the solution? I don't care what denomination you are. I don't care about all that stuff. We're losing the younger generation. We're, I mean, my, my heart's cry. I'm going, okay, I have kids that range from 13 to 3. And I realized by the time that they're my age, this country is not going to be what it is right now unless we have an awakening. 
And I'm, I'm, and if, and you know, and I have people say, oh, well, pastor, I mean, that's just part of what's going to happen. We've read the end of the book and it gets really bad. Okay. It, it is going to get bad, but it's not going to happen with my help. I'm going to do everything I can to work against the evil and to work against the things that are pulling at my children and that are pulling at going to be my grandchildren that are going to try to destroy the country that God has built upon the gospel, upon great things. I'm going to do everything I can to stop the enemy from destroying it. And if I don't ever reach beyond my own family and my own church, so be it. But I'm going to do everything I can, and we will reach beyond our own families and our own church. Don't misunderstand me. But if that's all we ever did, then it's worth it to just do what's right. I remember this thing in, in high school. We used to have one up in one of the rooms somewhere, and you all have heard this before. And it, it was up over a door in one of the classrooms in high school. It says, what's right is not always popular, and what's popular is not always right. And I realize, I've realized that the trends happening in Christianity, much of it is popular, but it's not right. And some of it is good. In fact, most of it is good. If you can find ways to get people in church, that's a good thing. But if you're not giving them what they need to sustain life in their own life, that's not a good thing. And so we have to go back to some, just some basic things. And so the Lord has been speaking to me about restoring discipleship, that it needs to be restored. So let me show you some things here from the Word. Are you all still with me? So we're going to look here in in Acts chapter 2, and we were in Acts chapter 2 last week, and I'm going to continue talking about this for a few moments we have left. When I say a few, it means probably triple that, so you do the math. Acts chapter 2, and so I, when I first started talking about restoring discipleship, I, I, talk about, I talked about the nature of a, of a disciple is one who walks in humility. So if you really want to just understand the just the, the nature, like, you know, you could describe, if you described your best friend or your mom or your dad, you would describe their nature, what they're like, right? I mean, you could describe characteristics, which we're going to talk about characteristics here in a moment, but you would also describe their, their nature, the mode of them, kind of their MO. Well, a true disciple of the Lord Jesus is someone who walks in humility. They walk humbly before the Lord, but they also walk in humility before other people. That's extremely important. If you find somebody that's in pride, you've found somebody that's not really operating in, a, in the mode of being a disciple. And I really believe that we should have three, three kinds of people in our life all of the time until we get born again, from when we get born again till we die. And that is that we should have somebody over us in the sense that we allow people to speak into our life. We should have people underneath of us that we're ministering out, but then we also have those people that we're co-laboring with, that we're just walking through life together. Does that make sense? That's really healthy that we have that flow, and then we have that with um, people around us that we're sharing in, in what we're doing. So the nature of a disciple is one that's humble. And then last week, I'm, I talked about a characteristic, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention um, several different ones here. I won't get finished this week, but several different characteristics of, of uh, disciples of what a disciple is. And the first one I mentioned last week was about repentance, that a real disciple lives a life of repentance. And repentance, and this is something that I wanted to say, I didn't get finished, but I want to say this, and then I'll move on to the next one about repentance, is that repentance is a, it's a one-time decision, but it's a continual act. 
And when you get saved, what you're doing is you're repenting. You're saying, God, my life belongs to you. But how many of y'all know that it's supposed to be a daily thing that we say, Lord, my life belongs to you? That we give ourselves over to him every day because we have the, we have the opportunity because of life, of things, of whatever, to pull us to the right, to the left, the wrong direction. But we need to keep ourselves continually before the Lord. And when we find ourselves making mistakes, which we do, then we if we're a real disciple, we have a heart and a characteristic that says, I'm going to turn from that and God, I'm going to turn from you. And it's not in fear that we're going to burn in hell because we did something wrong. Man, we've got the most loving, awesome, gracious, heavenly father we could possibly have. And for that reason is why we always turn from the hellacious things, right? And we just turn back to him continually. You know, one of the the things that we're called to Romans chapter 12, Verse one, one of my favorite verses, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto him, for this is your reasonable service. So he, he's saying that you need to be a living sacrifice. And I love what I heard Brother Andrew say years ago. He said the biggest problem with a, a living sacrifice is that they keep crawling off the altar. So we have this interesting dynamic as believers that God's called us to be alive in him, but we're supposed to be dead to everything else. And so isn't that the way that it goes? We've been there before, maybe even in a service that just really pulled on our hearts and we go to the front and we say, God, I just give my life to you. And then like four hours later, we're doing the very thing that we didn't want to do that we're saying, God, I was giving that over to you. Anybody ever been there before? And it's like you didn't want to, but you just did it. You know what that is? That's being a living sacrifice. God, you're not just dead. You are alive in him, but you have to keep bringing yourself back on the altar saying, Lord, my life belongs to you. It does not belong to me. Let me show you another verse. Hold your place in Acts. I'm going to come back there, but let me show you this other verse over in Philippians, and I'm going to read it really quickly for time's sake, and then we're going to go back to Acts, but Philippians chapter 2. And in verse four, it says, let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What kind of mind? The mind that looks out not only for, not for your own interest, but for the interest of others who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even to the death of the cross. Now we're not called to save the world. Jesus already did that. But the idea of dying to ourselves is something that we're called to do. We're supposed to be like Christ in every single way except for being glorified. I mean, there is a a realm of glory that we enter into, but it's not our glory, it's his glory. And one of the things the Lord told me, because man, I believe in the supernatural. If you don't believe in the supernatural, just need to read the Bible, I guess. I don't know, but... One of the things about having the supernatural power of God and having it in consistency is we have to contend for his glory. And this is a constant problem with man is that we're always contending for our glory. We wouldn't put it in those terms, but we go into church service, we want to feel good. Church is not about making us feel good. It's about glorifying him, exalting him, lifting him up, 
And we do pray for each other and minister to one another. I'm not saying that's the only aspect, but when it comes to the worship part of the service, I mean, and I've been there before to where it's like, well, you know, I didn't really relate to that song. I just, you know, I mean, his style is, I just, it's not my style. I mean, not Ron, but, you know, whoever, just wherever you've been in your life, somebody else, me, whenever I'm, I've led worship. You know, those are the kind of attitudes that people have, and it's like, wait a second, you, what you're doing is, and then if they're really contending for their glory, you'll hear them come in and say, I want this song sung, and I don't like that kind of music, and da 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 Wait a second, I thought we were coming in here and we were just gonna worship God and glorify him and magnify him and lift up him because he's the only one worthy. There isn't any, he searched the earth. There isn't anyone else worthy. Otherwise they would have died and paid the price. That's why he came down and he's the only one worthy of all of the glory and the honor and the praise and the virtue. And this is something that goes along with the whole thing is that we have seen and we haven't recognized it as it, but I'm telling you some things are going to shake. And we have two, we've had too many ministries that have been built and the focus has been around that one particular person. And I'm telling you, if those ministers don't change, it's not going to be good for them. The Lord will share glory with no one. He's the only one that receives all of the glory, all of the praise, all of the thanksgiving. Everything goes to him. It doesn't go to any man, none. And we have had, and I'm not, some people, when I say this, they think, oh, I know some TV ministers that are just, they've got big heads because they're on TV. No, look, TVs, it's, if you're reaching people with the gospel, that's a good thing. Those are just tools. But some people have become a tool and they've made the whole thing about them and their anointing and just, and it's like that kind of stuff has to come to an end and it needs to be Jesus being the, the central focus of our life and him alone. And then as far as all of the people, the leaders in the body, they're just leaders. They're just great leaders that God's called to lead. I've had people for years that have said, man, you need to have, you need to be writing books and you need to do this, that, and the other. And I'm fine with that. I'm, I have a book that I'm writing. I, I might get done in my lifetime. I don't really know, but I will. I will. And I have lots of things I want to produce, but I'm so glad that in my younger years, I didn't do it because I was, I had so much glory issue concerning myself that I would have produced the book. And depending on the number of copies that sold, or how many people bought my CDs or whatever would have made a difference on how I felt about myself. Those are dangerous leaders. I was at one point, I have to be totally transparent with you. I was a good hearted leader, but I was dangerous because I cared too much about what people thought. Those things need to come to an end. And you know what, you know what I found when just the idea of discipleship and humility, when I see this, I see this thing in the word that if people have a right, humble heart, Jealousy just goes out the window. There's no part in it. You know that Moses raised up Joshua to take his place? And you know that Jesus raised up the disciples to take his place? And he said, the works that I do, you'll do 
and greater works will you do. You know what I've found? And this is why. I'll just say it. When you see people that go, and oh, I shouldn't, I'm just going to say it. And you see them go up, 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 up. And it's not this way every time, all right? So don't. But oftentimes, in general, when you see people go up, 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 and then all of a sudden they disappear, it's because when they go up, you'll find a heart in them that it's like, I want everyone to gather unto me to glorify and lift me up. They wouldn't use those words, but oftentimes what happens is a spirit is at work there, not the Holy Spirit, but a spirit is at work there instead of raising up under pe- people underneath of them to raise them up and even cause them to go higher than them, they'll, all, they'll keep them down to the level of their feet all the time. You can come up a little bit, but don't you dare take any of my glory. Don't you dare steal any of my thunder. Come on now, we've, see, we've seen this before. People don't say it, but it's been at work in the church for a long time and it needs to end. And God is saying, can, can I just find a few people that won't make ministry about yourself? He said, where do the wars, James says, where do the wars and the, and the, the contentions come from amongst you? It's because you, you want things on yourself. You want things for yourself. Pride's a nasty thing. Selfishness is a nasty thing. I don't know how I'm talking about this on Mother's Day, but I'm telling you, this is just how I roll. Come on now. If we're going to see something change, we've got to be the agents that say, God, change me first. Change the trend in me first. And I'm always, I want to take people and I want to, listen, I hope that I have tens and hundreds and thousands of people go through this ministry and that touch the ends of the earth. And if my name is never mentioned, I really don't give a rip. I don't care. And you know, I've come to the the point too, that if we really are a church that's going to train and and equip and not grip, but to train them and equip, equip them and send them, some will stay local and be part of this body, but some will go out. If we're really going to do that, I, I had to come to a place to where I said, Lord, if our church only stays this size, but is, is a revolving door for people to come in and out as they need to go in and out of the mission field and wherever they're at, and they just need to be sent out, and we're sending as many people out as that are coming in, if it only stays this size, I'm successful in, the, in God's eyes. We're successful in God's eyes. It's not about filling the seats. With all that being said, we know we need to stretch out our tent stakes. We know, we know we need to enlarge our borders because God is bringing more people in and it is going to grow. So I'm not saying that, but I've had to go back on my own self and say, what is this really about? What's the heart that needs to be here? It cannot be about building our ministry. It can't be about fulfilling what we want. It can't be that way anymore. If we don't change, we're not going to change the world. I believe the enemy has been working overtime in the church to try to keep people bound up with having this idea of what success looks like when it really isn't success at all. The time we live in right now, and again, they're tools, I'm not against them, but the whole YouTube sensation and the Twitter and the Facebook, people, people have found their identity in how many people watch their videos. And view their, and that stuff can be addictive because listen, we've all been on Facebook and we've posted something. We're like, oh, this is, this is awesome. This is really going to get them here. We post it. And you know, like the next day it's like 
Three likes? Come on. That was way better than that. What's wrong with you people? You know? And it's like we start to internalize it like, and we find, find some kind of identity. That, that's, a, that's a fest to come to an end. Because what we're doing, and we don't know it, we don't recognize it, but I'm pointing it out right now. We're, we're taking glory upon ourselves. Now, see, when God tells us to do something, we're not responsible for the harvest. God's the one that brings the increase. We're the ones that are supposed to just say, Lord, you want me to go over here and do this thing? I'm going to go do this thing. Lord, you want me to, to plant a church here? I'll plant a church here. Lord, you want me to say this thing to this person? I'll say it. I had to learn that years ago when ministering to people. It seemed like half the time, more than half the time, people would come to me and say, I just don't know what to do. I'd say, all right, I'm going to show you what the word says. I'm going to give you some practical wisdom. I'm going to hear from the Lord. Here's a word from the Lord. And most of the time they wouldn't do what I told them that they needed to do. And after a while, I developed an attitude like, well, they just don't really listen to me. Wait a second. Are you, is it all about your wisdom or is it about you being a vessel for the wisdom of God to flow through you to help them? So if they reject it, are they really rejecting you or are they rejecting the Lord? And it's like, all right, Kent, well, you need to repent of that. And praise God, I'm a disciple, so I live in it with an attitude of repentance. Amen? We just think too highly of ourselves. I heard a guy say this one time. He said, speaking of ministers, and look, I, I take the blame for where our, I take part of the blame for where our country is at, right? If you don't think our country is in bad shape, you got your head in the sand. It is not, it is not in good condition right now. I'm not speaking negatively. I'm just, I'm just looking at it. But I heard this minister say this one time. He said that preachers spend too much time reading their own newspaper clippings. And I thought, you say, well, you know, I haven't been in the newspaper before. Well, then you're looking at the fact that you haven't been in the newspaper and you think that's what brings you into a level of success. And it's really just an analogy of hearing what people say, what people think, just all of those kind of things. And I, I, used, to, I used to do that. And what I'm saying is that God's growing me up and I want you to grow up with me. But we stop being concerned about those things. We stop being concerned about what people think and what people say. I'm only concerned about what God says. You know what the fear of the Lord is? Because we talked about this in Acts chapter 2, which I still haven't gotten to. But we talked a little bit last week about the fear of the Lord is. You know what the fear of the Lord is? This is my definition of the fear of the Lord. Is that when you care more about what God wants than what people want. Or you care more about what God thinks than what people think. Because if we really had a healthy, reverential fear of the Lord, not in a disrespectful way, but we wouldn't give a rip what anybody else thinks. If God says it, so be it. If God tells us to do it, then so be it. We're going to do what God says. And I'm telling you that discipleship is something that we have to change. We have to change the trend. And you say, well, just change it, pastor, and stop preaching about it. No, it just, that's the whole thing. Is that it's, it's always been placed on one guy. Now, I believe that the, the reason the church as a whole is in bad condition and the, the country as a whole is in bad condition is because we're not being the salt and the light. And that starts from the pulpit. But the people also have to follow suit and say, you know what? I'm going to grow up and mature. I'm going to be a disciple. I'm going to live a life of humility and repentance and the other things that we're going to talk about, but obviously not this week. I am going to be that person. It requires the whole body. All of us are called to the ministry of reconciliation. All of us are given the word of reconciliation. 
See, what's happened is that we've had, we've had, and I started to say it earlier, professional fathers. Oh, the guy on TV is my spiritual father. No, he's not. Unless you have a personal relationship with him, he's not your father. You know what I've come to find out? The Lord has given me a father's heart. I cannot father every person in this body. Even with the size it is now, I cannot father every person that's here. It takes disciples raising up disciples to raise up disciples to raise up disciples. Not one guy preaching a message on Sunday morning and changing the whole world. It ain't working. I wouldn't care if, if we had 5,000 people here and we were on every major Christian television, television station across the world if we're not taking the people that we have contact with right here and raising them up and training them up and loving them and praying over them and prophesying over them and correcting them as any good parent would do, if we're not doing that, we're not, we're not doing what Jesus wanted. We're not raising up disciples. So we've got this, this professional discipleship thing going on to where people's mentality, especially if they feel called to minister, they'll say, that's what I want. And I believe that this is the reason why we see so many ministers fail morally is that they go from, oh, God's given me a call to preach or teach or whatever. And the next thing you know is they're on every major free thing, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, spouting off all of the stuff that they think they need to spout off. But what they missed was somebody telling them how to study the Bible and the importance of it. They missed the person that just prayed and prophesied over them. They, they, missed, they missed that relationship with someone that says, hey, let me show you some things about how to, how to get your family in order. I've met more people that are, that are preaching and pastoring and doing things and their families are screwed up. Pardon my language, but that's just the best phrase I can put on it. I mean, I've met more, yet the, Paul makes it abundantly clear that if you, can't, if you can't conduct your own house well, how can you conduct the house of God you have to take care of your own. You know why? They're, we've got this professional fathering thing to where it's like, that's what I'm shooting for. I want to be like dad. He ain't your daddy. Your dad is the one that will get in the trenches with you, that will be there to pray with you in the hospital, that will go to your kids' ball games, that will sit across the dinner table with you, that will love you, that will pray for you, that will prophesy over you personally, that knows you intimately. And I found also that will bring correction. I have, a, I have a, and I, I don't hide it, but Pastor Bobby is, in my life, he, he is, God has set him as my spiritual dad. And even recently, I told him, I sent him a text message, and he's the funniest person to text with because I have to, we have to sit and decode it. I, it's like he can't figure out how to text, I don't know. But I sent him a text message, and I said, I said, Pastor, I just want to tell you that you have my full permission and blessing to correct me in any area that you think I need correction in. You know why? Because I've got somebody who loves me that I know that he wouldn't just correct me to bring the hammer down on me, but if he saw that I was gonna do something or move in a way that was gonna harm me or somebody else, he'd tell me, man, I want people like that. And you know what I've found is that our society, our culture, our country, our young kids, they crave that. They don't know they crave it, but that's what they're craving they're craving somebody to help them set some boundaries in their life, to show them how to be successful. You know, just the verse we read earlier out of Joshua, 
that if you want to have good success, you'll, you'll keep the, the word of God in your mouth. You'll meditate there in day and night. Then you will have good success and prosper in everything you do. They're not prospering. They're not free. You know, the, the level of young boys that are walking totally addicted to pornography in this country is staggering. And you know that most of them don't want to do it. They don't know how to be free. They don't know how to be free from it because they don't have the person in their life that says, I'm going to help you walk free. Let me show you how to conduct your vessel with honor. Let me show you some things. They don't have that. And you say, well, they, that's because they come from a broken home. Yeah, most people come from broken homes. But this is why the church is supposed to step in and be that place to fix the brokenness in people's lives. And if we can't change from being like lifting this one guy up and promoting his ministry, if we can't shift from that to let everybody take a part and begin to press in and prophesy and minister and sit across the dinner table and have conversation and go to the movies together and go ice skating together or whatever that looks like. If we can't shift that way, we've lost and we'll never regain it. And I've got something in my that God's doing in me, I can't do it any other way. I can't say it any other way. I can't be anything else. As a matter of fact, I think that's probably part of the reason why he's asked me to be so bold to say these kind of things is because I don't, I don't, I've never wanted to promote my ministry. Liz is my witness for years. Every time I would teach and preach the word, I'd get done and go, God, I hate doing that. Forget the notes. I would tell her, I'd say, I, I, I hate doing that. Because I take my words so seriously, sometimes too serious, but and then sometimes not serious enough. I say things I shouldn't say. You know, if you speak for a living, you're going to say some things you regret. That's just the way that it goes. <laughs> but I, I would tell her, I just, I just don't, I don't even, I don't want to do that. And I think that's part of the reason why the word's like, all right, well, cool. You don't want to promote yourself. I'm going to use you. And I think the Lord's going, if I can find some more people that will stop trying to promote themselves, we can get this thing done, wrapped up, get some people saved. Jesus can come, take us all home, and we can just be in heaven. And it'll be a lot easier that way. <laughs> He's got to have people that will cooperate with him. Amen. Man, I know we're out of time. I have so, oh, man, I have so much to say. I'm just going to leave it out there, and then you come back next week hungry for more because, man, this is... This, you, you see what I'm talking about? Am I making sense? Something has to change. And, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm preaching to the choir, I believe, by and large, because what this, this church is doing internally, and I've had people come to me lately, not in the church, but outside of the church, and they're like, uh, what are you doing to evangelize? And you know what the Lord <laughs> has spoken to me? is that, and we've done some external evangelistic things, and it wasn't bad. It overall was good. But the Lord is like reconditioning our heart that, you know, you can go out and set up a tent and pound on doors and do stuff, and you'll reach some people, but are you really reaching them the way that the Lord has instructed us to reach them? I'm not against those things. We might do those things in the future. I, I don't know. But we have to come back to this heart of just discipling people and loving people and building relationship with people. And relationships are where, are where it's at. You know the number one reason why people feel like they want to stay in a church or don't want to stay in a church is because they do or do not have connections with people. 
This is why we have, as of late, started to see numerical growth in our church. I found out a secret. You got to find a way to connect with people. I don't care who you are, how great your preaching is, or how dashing you are, or whatever it is. You know, come on now. People need to be connected with other people, and if we don't, we don't change the way we're doing things, we're going to lose the generation. How many of y'all don't want to lose the generation? Would you stand with me and agree in prayer then over it? Thank you. Thank you for listening to the weekly message. To find out more about Overcomers Church International and to hear more messages like this one, please visit our website at ociperryville.com.